So to quote Marvin Gaye, what's going on? Joining me now is Serona Elton, a former record company executive and now director of the music industry program and associate dean of administration at the University of Miami's Frost School of Music. Serona, so good to have you tonight. So happy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I, I guess we should start with the Bob Dylan deal because it was announced yesterday. It seems huge. Um, <laughs> and it's it, there was another Bob Dylan deal. So what's being sold and 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 why? Yeah, so that is such a great question and a great place to start with because I think, you know, you read words like catalog and people don't know what does that mean, right? So, so let's do a really quick, uh, a quick 101 on copyright and music copyright. So, when you listen to a recording of Bob Dylan, what you actually have going on are two different kinds of copyrightable works. You actually have the song, the underlying song uh, that has a set of rights with it. And then separate from that, you have the actual audio recording. So you have songs, which are different from recordings. Both of those are different kinds of works protected by copyright law. And so you actually have a different owner, usually of the copyright in the song, as opposed to the owner in the copyright in the recording. And then sometimes those songs, particularly songs, might be owned by multiple parties. So you might have you know, four owners that each perhaps own 25% of that particular copyright in a song. And so we hear about sales of um, the publishing catalogs. That's a term you'll hear. And that's referring to the copyrights in the songs. And then sometimes you'll also hear about the sale of the recorded music catalog. And that's talking about the sales of the copyrights to the sound recordings. And I guess in this case, Bob Dylan has already sold both those things. That's right. Exactly. So back in December of 2020, um, the, song side of things, the publishing catalog was sold to one of the big three companies in the music space called Universal Music Publishing Group um, for what was reported at about $300 million, I think. Um, that was the publishing side of, of things. And now he's just sold their recorded music rights to Sony for an, a sum, like you mentioned, it's um, been estimated, but often these amounts are uh, undisclosed. Right. So it begs the question, why? Why would you sell all of this, you know, essentially your life's work? Because the market is very hot right now. <laughs> there are buyers willing to pay really big bucks and there are benefits to selling now rather than waiting. Um, you know, some of the same principles of any kind of property ownership um, apply here where if you, you have some kind of uh, something of value that people might want to buy. Um, you're always trying to gauge when the time is right to actually um, enter into a sale. And right now, the market is really hot and and really attractive to sellers. You compared it to to a red hot housing market where everyone's bidding each other up at one point, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, and <laughs> unfortunately, in the housing market, we've seen examples where it was a, a bubble <laughs> and then the bubble yeah. burst. Um, I, I think we're not expecting this to be a, a bubble, but there's there's a lot of, you know, um, sort of 
future gazing going on um, because whenever you buy something, right, it, it sounds complicated, but it's not. When you when you buy something of value, you're you're usually buying it because you think it's going to be worth more in the future. Um, when you might want to sell it, and you know you you've made that profit between what you bought it for and what you've sold it for, and so um, so it's the same thing with copyrights uh, actually and so right now there's a lot of buyers in the marketplace with a deep deep pockets um who are uh in the market and eagerly chasing after valuable copyrights and offering you know what some might call outrageous sums of money for them I'm speaking with Sarona Elton, a former record company executive, now director of the Music Industry Program and Associate Dean of Administration at the University of Miami Frost School of Music. Um, I, I guess this this one of the things I was really curious about is how has the move to streaming um, changed sort of the equation for artists in, in this case? Yes, it's it's made a really big difference. Um, so the move to streaming, you could sometimes we describe it as a move from an an ownership model to an access model. And let me be clear when I say ownership, because I'm not talking about copyright ownership, which is what we just talked about. But from a consumer perspective, right, you know, you and I may be similar in age, you know, we came up where you bought a record. You know, if you wanted control over what you were going to listen to when you listened to it and you wanted to play it a zillion times, you would buy the record, whether whatever format that was in, you know, eight track, vinyl, cassette, CD, you bought it. It was an ownership model. And generally that meant though, you bought it once. Um, now it might be each time a new type of format was introduced. So maybe you bought everything on vinyl and then came CDs and you decided you were going to go ahead and buy all your favorite music in CD form because, you know, you wanted a better, higher digital quality. But generally speaking, you know, especially once we got to the the CD stage, you had that for life. You know, you weren't going to go buy another version of it. And for the next generation of people coming up behind you um, to discover Bob Dylan's music or Bruce Springsteen's music, they would have heard it on the radio or they would have had to decide to go and make that investment and buy a copy of that music. Well, streaming changes all of that because the way the streaming economics work, you can pay a monthly subscription or you can use some services that we call ad supported. So you're not paying a subscription, but you, you have to listen to some number of advertisements. You can do either of those approaches and have access to an almost limitless catalog. Which And what that means is, let's say you are a 20-year-old right now. You can go on to Spotify or Apple Music and you can check out all of the recordings by um, Bob Dylan without any financial investment. And so what you have are, you know, audiences continually discovering these really successful artists um, from, from yesteryear. A lot of these big catalog sales are of artists' music that's been around for a while. Um, and so there's this, this discovery that's really easy and feels free. Um, and these these songs just keep generating year after year after year um, a certain amount of, of streaming activity now that that you know you can see the track record for. I wanted to ask you, I mean, I guess the most fundamental question here is if I buy this, if I invest in these songs, how do I make money? 
Right. So, so you make money in a couple of ways. Um, you make money from uh, the revenue stream that comes to you on uh, even a monthly basis, actually. So let's say, um, let's say you <laughs> bought the Bob Dylan catalog. Let's pretend you were Sony. <laughs> what happens is that every month services like Spotify and Apple Music and YouTube, um, all the different kinds of streaming services, audio and video all over the world, they pay royalties, what we call them. It's, just, it's revenue essentially for the permission uh, to have that music be available. They pay royalties to the owner of the song copyright and the owner of the recording copyright. And that money comes in every month. Um, and so you're, you're getting that cash flow if you're the copyright owner. Um, and then you also are getting the appreciation of that asset value. And that sounds really financial, right? But you understand same thing with a house. You buy it at a certain price. It goes up in value when you sell it down the road. Now you are making, you know, the difference in, in what you bought, uh, what you bought it for. So they get revenue in, in both of those ways. We're speaking with Serona Elton about musicians selling the rights to their music. It's a big story these days. You just heard two of them into the break, Neil Young, out of the break, Shakira. So it begs the question, Serona, who are hot properties for their song rights and why? <laughs> well, um, so the one way you can look at that is what makes a song particularly attractive or, or a recording particularly attractive to an investor is one that has a proven track record, right? And so the in the music industry, we actually have some terminology where a, a brand new recording that is just put out there in the marketplace that has only been out there for 18 months or less, we call that a current recording. Um, and anything that's been out there in the marketplace for more than 18 months, we actually call catalog. Um, and so in terms of buying the copyrights in something, generally speaking, you were looking at catalog. So songs and recordings that have been in the marketplace at least 18 months. And generally you want something that's been out there for about five years or more, because then you can see now, now that that artist is not necessarily the hottest thing since, you know, sliced bread is not on all the morning talk shows, right? That what, what is the interest in that artist's music, even when it's been out there in the marketplace for a while? You know, the way it works in the record business is record labels do a lot of marketing right around the time that recording is first put into the marketplace. And then that marketing tapers off over time. And so if you're buying these copyrights, what you want to be able to do is get an accurate sense of how much money every single year, year over year, this recording or this song generates. Because that that annual amount of money being generated, that's how you actually kind of calculate how much to spend on buying it. And so you need a number of years of revenue history to see is this is this song, is this recording, you know, continuing to be listened to by people every single year, even when it's not brand new and being heavily marketed. It's, it's fascinating. Uh, who's buying? Because obviously, you know, Sony and Universal, and those are the big names that one recognizes. But I also see names I don't recognize <laughs> that, that look like, you know, private equity investors, you know, people coming in a new crop of investors looking in to make money off uh, off the rights to these to these tunes. 
Yeah, well, they look like that because that's exactly what they are. Um, so you do have, I would say, sort of three kinds of buyers. Um, you have the the usual suspects who have been honestly buying and selling catalogs for a very long time. You know, you have three major record companies, sort of record groups, if you will: Sony Music Group, Warner Music Group, Universal Music Group, and those all have both a publishing division and a recording division. Um, and they are, you know, they are and have been very much in the the marketplace in terms of buying and selling copyrights. But what you also have now are you have another level of music company out there that are a bit smaller than those majors. Um, so some of those labels, you, you know, if you follow this stuff, <laughs> like BMG, uh, Reservoir, right. Concord, those are some names out there that are smaller than the major labels, but they are in this space now buying up stuff. And in many cases, those companies, those smaller music companies have actually partnered up with investment companies, whether it's, you know, institutional investors or, you know, um, funds, financial funds set up specifically for investing in music-related copyrights. Um, they are out there in the marketplace, these smaller companies and those those ones you mentioned, like Hypnosis is a name you might have heard of, um, Iconic Artist Group, Harborview Equity Partners is, you know, one that just bought the Louis Fonsi catalog. Um, I think that was today. <laughs> um, wow. So, yeah, there are new entrants into this space that are coming from the finance world. Um, but often, you know, again, if you remember, I was saying that you want to do this because you're going to make money on it, right? And one of the ways you make money on it is it keeps generating revenue every year. But that's if you are, you know, taking care of it. Copyrights actually need maintenance. They need, you know, tender, loving care <laughs> to make sure that they're being, they're, you know, being treated and protected properly and generating revenue. And so even when you have an investment company coming along who doesn't, you know, is not a music company and they're putting their money into these purchases, they then often, almost always, other than hypnosis, um, need to partner with an existing music company that's going to basically take care of or babysit sure. those copyrights while they're continuing to go up in value. Because that was going to be my next question for you is that, I mean, as a music fan, as I am, and I'm sure you are, but you also know the business side of this. Is there anything, if you're a music fan, is there anything to be worried about when songs start to get bought up by, you know, the same people that own, that you sort of buy and trade businesses and so on, that they become such a commodity that maybe it's just a romantics view that they're not already, mm -hmm. but is there anything, is there any downside to this, do you think? Well, you know, I don't think there's anything obvious at this point, but, you know, all of this is people are placing bets on what the future is going to look like. And these different companies, particularly these financial companies that, you know, are not mainly based in the music space, right? Music companies, they do a whole lot of things, including buying and selling catalogs and then making sure those catalogs generate revenue. So they're kind of in it for the long haul. But these, these newer entrants into this space, these finance companies, um, you know, what, what none of us know is let's say something happens in the future. And, you know, for some reason, the, the revenue forecast is not as um, optimistic as it is right now. And they decide, you know, I want to get out of this space. I don't want to be in this space anymore. And they start selling off these, these catalogs. I don't know that any of us really know what would happen at that point. Um, my guess, and, and I'm, you know, I don't have a crystal ball, so I'll, I'll caveat this in every way. 
My guess, though, is that music companies would snatch those um, copyrights back from these finance companies um, and would stick with them, you know, for the long haul, realizing that the the music music industry overall has had ups and downs over time. Um, it's not all up for those of you who've been paying attention around the year 2000, 2000 till about 2015, the recorded music space was on a downward trajectory of revenue year over year, every year, down, down, down from 2000 to about 2015. And so, you know, music companies, a lot of them have been around (laughs) for decades. They know it's going to go up and down and they stay the course. Um, Whereas these finance companies, you know, they do tend to finance companies in general have a bit more of a reputation for, you know, get in, buy, get out, you know. So I don't really know if any of us know what what would happen if for some reason things didn't look as optimistic as they do now. In just a few words, are we going to see this continue? Are we going to see these catalogs continue to be sold off in the near future? Still hot, hot, hot? I think still hot, hot, hot. I think unless there's a change in the financial markets that, you know, um, undermine some of the tax benefits to um, artists and songwriters selling their, you know, their copyrights right now, because there are some tax benefits they're enjoying, you know, interest rates are really low. There's a a number of other sort of financial economic factors that are playing into this. Um, So if any of those were to change drastically, that could maybe slow things down. Um, But I think overall, the, the real reason that everybody's so excited is because music copyrights, both in the songs and the recordings, have proven to be sort of recession proof. Even when the economy is not looking good, people still listen to music. Um, And because they're paying for subscription or listening for, you know, in exchange for advertising years, that doesn't be that behavior doesn't change when people lose their jobs. You know, look what happened with COVID and, and, and unemployment people still listened. So I don't think it's going to change soon. Fascinating conversations thrown out. And thank you so much for shedding some light on this trend. Thank you so much for having me.